SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Yura Damarang, I'm your host, Luana Grant, and welcome to NITV Radio for this Friday, the 4th of August. Coming up on the show today, a conversation with Jessica Clark, curator of the 2023 Yalingwa exhibition Between Waves, a major new exhibition featuring 10 commissions by emerging and established First Nations artists. Also coming up on today's show, a chat with Damien Griffiths, CEO of First People's Disability Network, who have recently launched a campaign to provide accessible resources on the voice to parliament for people with disabilities. And we share a story by NITV News about GAMA, Australia's largest and most influential First Nations event, playing host to thousands of people, including the Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, who will be returning to GAMA this year to deliver another keynote address on the upcoming referendum. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy the native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has gone on the attack after being accused of dividing the nation over the Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum. Opposition leader Peter Dutton has said Mr Albanese is out of his depth and deliberately withholding details about how the voice would work. The Prime Minister is deliberately Order. and willingly Members on my withholding right. that information from Labor voters and from the Australian public. And that is why, Mr Speaker... This situation goes from bad to worse because the Australian Prime Minister is seeking to divide his nation. But the Prime Minister says Mr Dutton boycotted the apology to the Stolen Generations in 2009 and has declined an invitation to the Gama Festival to discuss The Voice with Indigenous representatives. He says the Coalition's opposition to The Voice is not logical. Both sides of Parliament... Order are saying they support constitutional recognition. Both sides of Parliament are saying they support a legislated voice. The only difference between the two positions is that we we are putting forward the position of constitutional recognition in the form that has been requested by Indigenous Australians themselves over a period of two decades. 
The federal government has announced $6.4 million in funding for a new education facility in Arnhem Land. It comes as Prime Minister Anthony Albanese travels to the remote region for this weekend's Gama Festival. The funding will support a new tertiary and vocational education facility in northeast Arnhem Land, allowing locals to continue on to higher education. First Nations culture will have pride of place on Darwin's Esplanade thanks to a new piece of interactive public art. The new display features a four-metre-high mermaid's tail and a traditional larrakia raft used to travel across Darwin Harbour to attend ceremony, catch fish and visit relatives. Visitors will be able to scan a code to access more information about larrakia land and culture. Artist Roque Lee and Darwin Lord Mayor Convatskalis explained what the art means to them. I hope they realise that Larrakia culture is here. It's always been here. And, you know, it's, it's strong. I had a dream to make the Esplanade a place to display public art to represent the local people. And the first one, it should have been, and it is, an Aboriginal Larrakia symbol. Uh, it's not a piece of art. It's a cultural statement. More than $400 million in NDIS payments are being investigated for fraud. The 46 investigations are being overseen by a fraud task force set up in October to examine rorts of the scheme. NDIS Minister Bill Shorten has told Parliament the original number of investigations was 38, but an additional $100 million worth of possible fraudulent payments have been discovered since April. He says sometimes government programs attract people who want to take advantage of the funding. I certainly had the view in opposition, and it's been confirmed in government, that there is an element in the Australian community who are basically taking money from participants, robbing people on the scheme, and sometimes not only in an unethical manner, but indeed in a criminal manner. Protesters have gathered outside the federal courthouse in Washington, D.C. to either praise or denounce former U.S. President Donald Trump. Mr. Trump has pleaded not guilty to four federal counts, including conspiracy to defraud the United States. He is accused of conspiring with allies to spread falsehoods and concoct schemes intended to overturn his election loss to President Joe Biden. There have been vocal protests across the country with both supporting Mr Trump and criticising him. He needs to be locked up, like, effective immediately. It doesn't matter. He's done so much anyways that this man roaming the streets is just crazy. I hope he gets every single thing that's coming to him. I feel like it's important that we hold even those on top accountable for breaking the law. Trump's going to march on. He's probably going to get more popular. Just this scene alone will make him more popular right here. The next hearing will be held in Washington, D.C. on August 28. Two U.S. Navy sailors have been arrested on charges of handing over sensitive national security material to China. Assistant Attorney General Matt Olson says the two active duty Navy members have been charged with passing the secrets to Beijing. Attorney Randy Grosman explains the charges against one of the sailors. Our indictment alleges that over the course of more than a year and on multiple occasions, Wei sent national defense information to China, including documents, photos, videos, and technical manuals. In exchange, his intelligence officer paid Wei thousands of dollars. 
Throughout this relationship, Wei provided his Chinese handler with information regarding the defense and weapons capabilities of U.S. Navy ships, potential vulnerabilities of these ships. United States Secretary of State Antony Blinken is urging all countries at the United Nations to tell Russia to stop using the Black Sea as blackmail. Russia last month quit a deal which had allowed Ukraine to safely ship its grain to global markets. Nearly 90 countries are now backing a short US-drafted communique committing to taking action to end the use of food as a weapon of war and the starvation of civilians as a tactic of warfare. Mr Blinken says they will do whatever is necessary to ensure the initiative is reinstated. We just have 91 countries uh, commit in a joint communique to ending the use of food as a tool of war. That in and of itself is a powerful statement and we urge uh, others to join. I think we've heard from around the world a chorus of condemnation for this action and the strong desire uh, on the part of many, many countries that this arrangement be put back in place. And it's very simple. It's on Russia to decide whether to do so. A national study by the Mindaroo Foundation suggests that more than 10% of the seafood sold in Australia is not what's on the label, and threatened species sometimes wind up on the plate. Researchers who DNA tested 672 seafood products sold at Australian supermarkets, fish markets and restaurants found 11.8% didn't match what was on the label. It also finds shark and snapper species and imported seafood were more likely to be incorrectly labelled. Pope Francis has addressed youth audiences in Lisbon, speaking about higher education, challenges facing the world and the essential role of women as part of a five-day visit to Portugal for World Youth Day 2023. Hundreds of thousands of youth Catholics from all over the world are in Lisbon for World Youth Day events. In his address, Pope Francis spoke of the discrimination which women face. In the inconsciente collective, quantas veces está pensar que las mujeres son de segunda. In the collective subconsciousness, women are often thought of as a second class, as substitutes. They don't play in the first team. That exists in the collective subconsciousness. The contribution of women is indeed essential. A new report by Homelessness Australia suggests the demand for homelessness services has increased as rental vacancy rates reach record lows. It finds between December 2022 and March 2023, the number of people seeking assistance spiked by 7.5%. Queensland saw the biggest increase, followed by Western Australia and New South Wales. The report also finds women and children make up 74% of all people using homelessness services. The federal government has pledged $10 million in funding for volunteer organisations. Grants of between $1,000 and $5,000 can be used to help volunteers buy equipment or reimburse fuel, transport and training costs. There were nearly 2 million fewer volunteers at the start of 2022 compared to before the pandemic. And now for a look at today's weather. Perth, sunny 16. Adelaide, showers 18. Melbourne, rain developing windy 19. Hobart, showers becoming windy 17. Albury-Wodonga, rain increasing 20. Canberra, mostly sunny 18. 
Wollongong mostly sunny 22, Sydney sunny 23, Newcastle also mostly sunny and 24, Brisbane 23, Townsville a shower or two 27, Cairns showers 26, Alice Springs sunny 29, Darwin partly cloudy 23 and the Torres Strait Islands mostly sunny 30. And that is NITV Radio News. TV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Welcome back to NITV Radio. I'm your host, Luana Grant. Still to come on the program, a conversation with Jessica Clark, curator of the Yalingwa exhibition Between Waves. And I caught up with Damien Griffiths, CEO of First People's Disability Network, who have recently launched a campaign to provide accessible resources on the voice to parliament for people with disabilities. But first, the very first Gama Festival was held just before the turn of the millennium in 1999. Led by the late Unipingu, it was a small-scale event, little more than a backyard barbecue. But the mission of its founders remains to be a cross-cultural meeting of leaders to discuss improving standards of living for all First Nations people. Over the next four days, Australia's largest and most influential First Nations event will play host to thousands of people, including the Prime Minister. A year after his landmark speech outlining his vision for an Indigenous voice to Parliament, Anthony Albanese will return to Gama to deliver another keynote address on the upcoming referendum. Emma Kellaway has this report. Welcome. Around 2,000 people each year descend on Gulkala, a sacred place perched on top of an escarpment and surrounded by a stringy bark forest on the lands of the Gumich clan. The largest cultural exchange on the First Nations calendar, visitors are given a traditional welcome before guests are invited to the traditional dancing area known as the Bungal Grounds for the ritual opening ceremony. It's the start of a four-day festival with a jam-packed schedule of agenda-setting political discussions and cultural celebrations. This year's theme is Jumbuch or Yongul Excellence. Despite a two-year absence during the pandemic, this will be the 23rd Gama. The annual event was conceived by the Yothu Yindi Foundation with the aim of improving standards of living for all First Nations people. We can feel what has been taken from our countrymen. We can feel your pain and we stand together with you to find that pathway to unity. The word Gama means two-way learning process in Yongu Martha. It's an invitation for non-Indigenous leaders to meet with and listen to First Nations voices on issues impacting them. The Garchambal Auditorium, a key location at Gama, a space where politicians, academics and community leaders take to the stage to highlight major issues of the year. And I want to ensure that there is urgency to work towards voice, treaty and truth. 
From Kevin Rudd in 2013 to Malcolm Turnbull in 2017, Anthony Albanese last year joined a growing list of Prime Ministers to attend. Do you support an alteration to the Constitution that establishes an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice? Across the campgrounds, it's a chance for visitors to fully immerse in cultural activities. From weaving workshops to yadaki playing, all are welcome to learn. Deeper in the bush, among the stringy bark trees, hangs the Gapan Gallery, an outpost of the Yurikala Art Centre print studio. As the sun sets each night, an eruption of movement on the sands of the sacred Bungal site, a ceremonial close to the day's proceedings. Before music, dance and yarning continues throughout the night, as many make the most of the magic of Gama. Emma Kellaway, NITV News. Some LGBTIQ plus groups around the country have united in support of the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. Equality Australia, which grew from the push for marriage equality, says a yes vote will create a level of fairness and equality not yet seen in Australia. Alex Feniatis has reports. The Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum will be held later this year. As a gay Aboriginal man, Shane Sturgis knows intimately what it's like to have the whole country discussing his identity. Mr Sturgis feels there are similarity now with the debate around the upcoming Voice to Parliament referendum and the Marriage Equality Postal Survey in 2017. So for our LGBTIQ plus SB community and our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community, there is that intersectionality, there is the um, like, likeness, um, of years of being suppressed, of not having a voice, of being victimised and being put aside. Um, And we saw close to six years ago how that changed for Australia and we're asking for that change to happen again. Mr Sturgis says with a referendum it feels pertinent to get the support of the entire nation because the vote on changing the constitution is compulsory rather than optional. He is the CEO of the Black Aboriginal Corporation, which is joining 22 LGBTIQ plus groups from around Australia, coming out in support of a yes vote in the referendum later this year. Mr Sturgis says it's time to bring allies together and build a groundswell of support. It's important um, for the, to gain the support um, from allies and from like-minded people to get messaging out um, in particular for our First Nations LGBTIQ plus SB community. Um, This is the second time that we've had national conversations around their rights, that, um, you know, the talk at the moment is about the voice to parliament, um, but it's more than that. It's actually individuals' lives that are affected. It's my life that's affected. My life was affected almost, like, you know, close to six years ago with the marriage equality vote, and it's being affected again that has significant impact on individuals. Equality Australia, which works to protect the rights of LGBTIQ plus people, says there were many parallels between the marriage equality vote and the push for an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Gassan Kashishie is the legal director of Equality Australia. He says they surveyed 4,078 of their supporters and found widespread support for the voice, with 89.6% of people saying they would vote yes. 
We consulted widely with LGBTI organisations, particularly First Nations organisations. We spoke to our supporters and overwhelmingly what we heard was people want to vote yes because they believe in a voice. They believe in giving First Nations people recognition in our constitution and to listen to them on the things that affect them. In the online survey, 4.3% were unsure of how they would vote and 6% of people said they would vote no. Mr Cassissier says it's time to repay the support that Australians gave to LGBTIQ plus community. Almost six years ago, Australians had our back when our rights were being up for public debate. And it's now time for us to pay that forward and support our First Nations people in their right to have a say on the things that matter to them. Interim CEO of Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, Jill Beckwith, said in a statement, The voice to parliament aligns with Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras core values of diversity, inclusion and empowerment. She added that supporting the voice to parliament is a crucial and natural extension of their own commitment to celebrate all facets of the community. The No campaign argues in its publicity pamphlet that the voice to parliament proposal is legally risky with unknown consequences. The Yes campaign's argument is that there is nothing to fear from listening to the advice of an advisory body. Alex Anifantis, SBS News. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Welcome back to NITV Radio. I'm your host, Luana Grant. Still to come, a chat with Jessica Clark, curator of the Yalingwa exhibition Between Waves. But first, earlier this week, I caught up with Waramai man Damien Griffiths, CEO of First People's Disability Network, who last month launched a campaign to provide accessible resources on the voice to parliament for people with disabilities. He talks about the work First People's Disability Network does to support Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people with disabilities and their families and the Have Your Say campaign. Thanks so much, Damien, for joining me today on NITV Radio for a chat. Thanks, Luana. Good to be here. Firstly, can you please tell us a little bit about First People's Disability Network and how the organisation is providing support to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people with disabilities and their families? Sure. So the First People's Disability Network, we're a national peak organisation representing First Nations people with disability and their families. Um, we're a very unique organisation in that we're governed or, or led by First Nations people with disabilities themselves. So each of our board members has some form of disability or long-term health condition and most of our staff are First Nations people with disability as well. So um, the way we provide support is we're, we're basically a representative organisation. So what we do is provide advice to government and, and other you know people that are relevant in the disability sector. But... Um, a big part of our work now that's growing is, is what we call community engagement and training. So that's about educating and informing mob with disability about their rights, particularly disability rights. And we do that by visiting people in community and talking with them directly and sharing some of that knowledge with them so that they can start speaking for themselves. And earlier in June, uh, First People's Disability Network officially launched the Have Your Say campaign. Um, can you please explain 
more about the aim of the campaign and also the TV commercial that was created for The Voice to Parliament? Yeah, so that's very much about educating and informing, particularly First Nations people with disability, but also the wider Australian disability community about the upcoming referendum. So what we've noticed is there's a real lack of what's called disability accessible information. So that includes information provided through sign language, um, also information for community members. So any Australian with disability who say might be blind, for example, and we also have some plain English information and you can access that through our website called haveyoursay.net and you can also access, access, uh, sorry, access that through screen reader technology. So if you're a person with vision impairment, you can get access to, to that information that way. Um, we're very keen because we, we see the Australian disability community as being really important to the referendum vote being successful. The Australian disability community is very large mm. and potentially the difference between a yes vote and a no vote, potentially even, is, is how the Australian disability community responds. Yeah, and it's really important for people to be informed as well. So it's great that there's these resources. Apart from the TV commercial, what other resources are being created for the campaign as we get closer to the referendum to enable people um, with disabilities to be informed about the voice before you know going on to vote? So one of the things that we'll be doing uh, is holding community forums uh, for the Australian disability community in all capital cities, and we'll be beginning that process from the end of August uh, right through to September. And we'll also be doing that in some regional communities too. So the idea is that we are inviting members of the Australian disability community to come along, hear from some of our board members and some of our staff about their views on the referendum and what it could mean for First Nations people with disability. And at those events, we'll have a lot, whole lot of different accessible information um, for people to be able to access. Um, we're also going to a website and we'll be developing a whole lot of social media, particularly for the deaf community as well, so that they can understand what, what the referendum's all about. And what feedback have you gotten from community and from people with disabilities, like their families and the wider community about the resources? And have you had any feedback on how it's enabled them to be more informed? Yeah, we've had definitely had positive feedback because the Australian disability community is really anxious to to learn about the referendum and the best way to do that obviously is to provide that information in the way that people access their information. So, um, But we've had very po positive feedback about our information material. We also um, are looking forward to having our community events where people can come along and meet some people from the First People's Disability Network in person. Um, we're really, it's really important that the Australian disability community understands what the referendum's about. Um, and a lot, what we find is a lot of Australians with disability are very interested, very engaged. They know how important it is to have their voice heard, so they really want to be a part of things. And before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to share about the work that First People's Disability Network does or possibly how people can get involved? Yeah, absolutely, Luana. And one of the key areas of focus we have on the mo at the moment is reforming the National Disability Insurance Scheme so it better meets the needs of First Nations people with disabilities. So the National Disability Insurance Scheme has largely failed our people to up to date. To date. So what we're now uh, involved in is a 
formal advisory council to the National Disability Insurance Agency, which has made up of a number of First Nations people with disability who are starting to provide advice. The National Disability Insurance Scheme needs to work much, much better for First Nations people with disability. So if you're having any issues with the National Disability Insurance Scheme, please let us know and we'll see what we can do to help you um, get a better outcome. Great. Well, thank you so much, Damien, for taking the time to chat to NITV Radio today and um, all the best with all the important work that you're doing. It's very important, especially leading up to, you know, the referendum on the voice to parliament. Great. Thank you, Luana. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back to NITV Radio. Next, an interview with Jessica Clark, who is the curator of the Yalingwa 2023 exhibition Between Waves, which is a major new exhibition featuring 10 commissions by emerging and established First Nations artists. The exhibition will feature works by Marie Clark, Dean Cross, Jazz Money and Cassie Sullivan, to name a few, and is currently featuring at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in Nam. NITV Radio's Birchin Tungandami has more. I'm joined by Jessica Clark, curator of the 2023 Yalingwa exhibition, Between Waves, an event that supports the development of outstanding contemporary first people's art and curatorial practice in southeastern Australia. Jessica, first of all, welcome to NITV Radio, and uh, can you tell us about uh, your exhibition, Yalingwa 2023, Between Waves? What's it about, and uh, what's the idea behind it? So Between Waves is the third iteration of the Yalingwa exhibition series supported by the Victorian government in collaboration with uh, Creative Victoria, ACCA and the Tarawa Museum of Art. Uh, the, the series is dedicated to platforming and profiling Southeast contemporary Aboriginal art practice. And can you tell us a word or two about participating artists and uh, their entries in the exhibition? Maybe I can give people a sense of what's included in the exhibition, um, which is featured uh, contemporary art practices profiled from photography to moving image, sculpture, uh, uh, large-scale photographic installations, uh, sound sculpture. There's an interactive animation that's motion-censored. Um, but maybe is it better if I run through them, like, artist by artist? Yeah. So Cassie Sullivan has created a new series of beautiful monotype prints that feature tarlatan fabric. Uh, they're over across uh, frosted perspex. Uh, Dean Cross has created a new sculptural self-portrait that features a range of objects um, that he has collected over his lifetime and some more recently acquired. Uh, Hayley Miller-Baker has created an incredibly moving uh, large-scale single-channel video that uh, casts a female protagonist as a vessel to convey the weight uh, women are forced to carry on the day-to-day. Um, James Howard has created a new sound sculpture that responds to the site in and around Acker. Uh, there's a large uh, red structure adjacent to Acker on our North Forecourt, which is actually a ventilation stack um, managed by Transherb Urban. Um, and we were allowed to go down in underneath in that cavernous space for James to do a series of sound recordings that have been 
layered asynchronously into a ever-evolving sound sculpture. Um, Jazz Money has created a three-channel new video work uh, that manifests as three visual portals bringing together a range of um, archival materials um, in the form of text, photography and moving image from her travels around the country and around the world over the last year. Uh, Infinite iterative piece. Um, Mandy Quadrio has uh, produced an immersive kinetic sculptural installation of wire mesh, uh, of which she's really renowned of working with steel wool. Uh, This new uh, fibre simultaneously reflects light and casts shadow. Uh, It's a really beautiful experience. Um, Marie Clark has created uh, a large-scale uh, photographic installation that features a series of microscopic images of river reeds, a material that Marie has been working with for uh, over 15 years now but has never been seen in this way. So Marie's new uh, commission reveals the internal complexities, um, internal worlds of river reeds um, that we can't see. Matthew Harris, Harris's new commission uh, features a suite of uh, beautiful and deeply considered uh, ochre paintings, ochre and charcoal Matthew's used and rendered uh, a series of archival boxes. And I should say that the size of the work is uh, reflective of a of a standard museum archival shelf and is really speaking to the repetitious and relentless collecting um, habits um, and notions of gatekeeping around um, the repatriation conversation in in an ancestral remains being held um, and contained within private and public collections throughout the world. While the exhibition is firmly grounded here in Victoria, it does bring in and consider uh, creative and cultural practice from Lachawicha, Trawerna, Tasmania, Tartania, Adelaide and southern New South Wales. What? I thought South East would restrict to just Victoria and you bring in New South Wales a rival state as well. (laughs) (laughs) Go the place. Just to create a little bit more tension. You say that the exhibition embraces the visible and invisible energy fields and flows. Uh, Can you explain to us uh, what you mean by that? When I was starting out with the exhibition research, I was really drawn to the word yalingwa, which is a Wurundjeri Woiwurrung word that means day, light, time, vision or shining a light on the times. And I was really interested in speaking with the artists about that idea of movement that's conveyed by shining a light on the times. The 10 art commissions that feature in between waves are exploring energy fields and flows, the things that we can't see or the energies at play in the day-to-day that influence us, um, our understanding of self and our experience of the world. Wow. Yeah, it's very broad. Um, The exhibition explores, you know, lightness and darkness and the in-between spaces and places. A lot of the commissions really hold space and tension in those in-between spaces that are often uncomfortable at times, but uh, really important to sit with and be present and uh, ride those waves. Now, you brought together works by mostly multidisciplinary artists whose art practice, as you said, spans various genres, yet it is a very varied uh, 
exhibition. Did you kind of force them to enter one particular form instead of the other? <laughs> no, not at all. No, the, art, the artists um, absolutely have their own self-determination and agency around what they would like to make. Yeah. Um, like I said, the exhibition really evolved uh, through conversations with artists, through yarns and moments shared together and discussing the ideas of that, that Yalingua conveys, but also this um, idea of material memory that really underpins the exhibition, how materiality remembers place and the meaning we ascribe to objects or the memory that objects convey to us or that is held within. But yeah, absolutely. Like uh, all of the artists have a really broad contemporary art practice. Um, They're all working multidisciplinary, like you said. Uh, Someone like Cassie Sullivan, who is is very well known uh, for her photography installation and moving image works but has a background in printmaking so very exciting that Cassie has explored printmaking in the context of this show Um, and I think it's really important uh, in bringing all of these artists together to convey the breadth um, and complexity of Southeast contemporary Aboriginal art practice. Yeah it's really outstanding uh, that uh, you've uh brought together such a variety of uh, artworks. Uh, Having seen the exhibition, it looks like they spoke to each other and said, I don't want to compete with you in this form. I'll enter something different. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think um, all of the artists have really responded in their own ways and um, materiality really leads that process in a lot of, all of the artists' studio practices in responding to sight, to yarns, uh, to place um, and space um, and really feeling and responding to what they feel um, they need to work with to convey what they're trying to to say in their new commission or their vision and experience of that. Now, is this exhibition going to travel or it will stay at uh, ACA in Melbourne? The, the hope is that we will tour between waves and there are plans currently underway to explore that opportunity yeah, it's a really beautiful exhibition. I can see it doing really, really well in uh, places, even museums in Europe or even uh, across the country. The caliber of the artist is really outstanding. Yeah, the caliber of um, what's happening in contemporary art practice now in the southeast is just really exciting. And yeah, I hope uh, a lot of people come through and check out the exhibition and the artists then go on to have the next big incredible opportunity to share their, their vision and their stories through their creative practice. And do you have an online version of this exhibition? Uh, the catalogue text will be online and available this week uh, and available in print in a couple of weeks at ACA or online. Uh, there's also an extended exhibition statement on the Between Waves section of our ACA website. For people that can't make it too, I should mention that uh, this mob, a collective that's featured in the exhibition, they're uh, living and working here on Wurundjeri and Bunurong country in Nam, and they've produced a really exciting new digital commission that is accessible and live on the ACA website at the moment. Uh, the The work uh, is called Blackwater Volume 2, which is an extension of their previous imprint publication that brought together uh, 
their individual practices as well as their collaborative art practice. And this new digital commission, Black Bottle Volume 2, does a similar thing but with themes of interactivity and um, exploration interwoven as a digital zine. I've been at the exhibition. I know there are multiple ways of navigating uh, the ARCA space. Uh, now for visitors, how would you suggest that they navigate the exhibition to better immerse themselves uh, in uh, the exhibition and yeah, experience it? Well, the exhibition's um, been intentionally designed to welcome audiences through both of ACCA's entryways. So there's no one way to explore the exhibition, and I think that really speaks to the curatorial framework of WAVES. Uh, The title itself might at first conjure ideas of ocean waves or rippling water through the rivers, um, which is also exploring the unseen waves that play in the day-to-day that I mentioned earlier. So light waves and sound waves and radio waves, waves that are malleable and interacting with us uh, even though we can't see them. I I hope that uh, people experience between waves the way that they feel organically when they get to the space, whether that's entering through Gallery 1 or Gallery 2. Jessica Clark, thank you very much for joining us on NITV Radio to talk to us about uh, Yalingua 2023 Between Waves, an exhibition that's running at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art between this uh, July and the 3rd of uh, September 2023. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, I hope uh, viewers enjoy, um, listeners enjoy Between Waves. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. And that's all we have time for on today's program. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of the stories on our website at sbs.com.au. You can also find us on Facebook. NITV Radio will be back next week on Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 1 till 2pm with more stories from right across the country. I'm your host, Luana Grant Mandungo. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.